On this episode of China Unscripted, the Chinese Communist Party is causing an environmental disaster in Bolivia by working with corrupt leaders and screwing indigenous people. Sound familiar? Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Ganesha. And joining us once again is Janice Vacadaza, a Bolivian nonviolent activist and co-founder of the environmental activist group Standing Rivers. Janice, thanks for being with us again. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity. Very happy to be back. Well, certainly uh, a lot has changed since we last had you on. I believe that was back in 2019. And uh, at the time, uh, you were part of a movement that seemingly uh, was pretty successful at getting Bolivia's president, quote-unquote president, Evo Morales, forced to step down. So what is the, what is the current political climate in Bolivia right now? Well, it's funny because a lot of things have changed and they haven't at the same time. We have a new government. So after Morales stepped down, we had a transitional government, which stayed for around a year. They were supposed to only take care of bringing peace to the country and having new elections that were free and fair, which they did. But they also committed many corruption cases and human rights abuses that were completely out of the power that they should have had as a transitional government. So once we had elections yet again, um, the mass party won in the the 2020 elections. They were on October the 20th with over 55% of the vote. So it was a high amount of voters that chose to vote for them. And then we have a new president. His name is Luis Arce. He was actually the economy minister during Morales' terms. And the vice president is David Choquehuanca, who was an indigenous leader throughout the, even before the mass was a big political force in the country. There was a lot of expectation from different parts of Bolivia because the country was very tired after so much social conflict as well as COVID. But sadly, this new government has chosen to follow the very authoritarian line that we had already seen in the mass party. So, sorry, uh, what is this mass party? The MAS party is a party, Movimiento al Socialismo, so movement towards socialism. It's the Evo Morales party, essentially. Oh, okay. But it's a different party name, but it's the same uh, ideology? It's it's the same party as before. They just oh, changed okay. the presidential candidate. Oh, I see. He won um, after there was so much yeah, uh, refusal from Bolivians to have the same president running indefinitely. So they have a new candidate, but a lot of their old ways are the same. The thing is, they are weaker because a lot of regional and younger leaderships from that party have left and they have started their own parties. So it is a slightly more interesting political scenario. But to what concerns us today, I think, and what concerns me, many Bolivians and many indigenous leaders, um, this has also meant that many projects that had been put on hold, not fully canceled, but put on hold during the transitional government in terms of building dams and hydroelectric power plants that were obviously being built with Chinese um, financing. These projects are being reactivated uh, by the current government. So we're kind of back to square one again. Well, I was gonna say, I know uh, Morales was pretty close with the Chinese Communist Party doing a lot of infrastructure investments like that. And, you know, the new president being the economy mis- minister, uh, usually those people are also uh, very much in line with uh, doing business with China. They are. They they are. They heavily are. And when this new government was elected, when Luis Arce was positioned as president, Xi Jinping sent a letter to Bolivia congratulating the new president and expressing his desire to strengthen the construction cooperation between Bolivia and China. So we already know what this means. We've, we've seen it happen already during the previous governments. But what is even more worrying now is that Bolivian economy needs a new source of of liquidity. The prices of gas internationally are going down. And we also had the COVID pandemic, which was very hard on Bolivia's economic movement over the entire country. So there is a very, because we have this big economic need, there is a very aggressive approach to natural areas at the moment. And this means that it's very likely that the extractivist model is going to be harder and that indigenous communities and 
areas that are occupied by indigenous groups and that are also national protected territories, quote unquote protected, are going to be exploited even faster now. So the Chinese Communist Party's uh, infrastructure investment in Bolivia typically ends up damaging the natural environment and primarily the indigenous people who are there, correct? Exactly. And it's very important to highlight this because this is not just I am one activist in Bolivia. Uh, There are many other indigenous leaders whose voices I think are even more important than mine. And they have already said repeatedly in more than one occasion that whenever there are these big constructions in the name of development, um, usually these constructions, when they are done in indigenous territories, according to what our constitution says in, in chapter four of the constitution, if anyone actually wants to look it up, the Bolivian constitution, um, the indigenous groups should be consulted and they should be informed about these projects. They should be consulted if they, this is how they want to administer their land, their territories. And if they say no, which they had said already to many of these projects that are financed by, by Chinese uh investing, then the government should respect that. However, of these projects are being done without the consent of indigenous communities. Um, I can name, for example, the Rositas. It's this dam project, the hydroelectric center that's going to be built in an area that is going to be flooding, I think, 450,000 hectares, and it would be displacing at least 12 indigenous groups. And however, there was no consultation to indigenous groups. Um, there is no clear estimate of the environmental damage, the environmental studies that should have been done to create these dams have not been published. They're not public. Bolivians have no way to actually see deeply what the effect is going to be. But the government is, as they have done before, they're just enacting and they are the Rositas them not yet, but other projects like this ones, they are already bringing them back to life. And something that was very important for us was that during the transitional government, many of these projects were brought to a halt. They were not officially canceled. In fact, the minister Pinkert, who was environmental minister during the transitional government, she mentioned that she wanted to reactivate some of these projects. And there was a lot of a public outcry from, from civil society, because obviously we don't want them. Um, but right now it looks like it's going to happen. And yet again, the mass is a party. The current Bolivian government always portrays itself like it's protecting environmental and indigenous rights. But at the end of the day, if Chinese money is going towards these areas and they don't care about indigenous rights, they don't care about environmental protection, even if the constitution says so. And it's very interesting to watch and see how this type of issues get so much attention from the international community when they happen in countries like Brazil. Yet when it happens in Bolivia, there is this almost complicit silence that no one talks about our issues. Why do you think that is? I think there are several reasons. One of them is probably lack of information. People just don't have enough uh, truthful uh, sources of information from Bolivia. We we are not a big news uh, headline for people outside of Bolivia. And this is very, very silly. I think the international community pretends like they don't know that Bolivia is an important geopolitical center in South America, but we are. And then I think there's also because, and this actually, I can mention this with the help of former president Evo Morales, he mentioned in 2018 that he had asked the Chinese government to help his government with um, social media strategies and how to battle the Bolivian opposition online. So Mm. there is a big communications machine, I'm pretty sure you know about this far better than I do, um, that is very, very quick to censor any activist that speaks about these issues. And I mean, I hope we can talk about this later as well. In my case, the experience with what happened in the 2019 fires in Bolivia, which was also encouraged because of a deal with the Chinese government, has been one of the strongest experiences of my entire activism and the amount of online attacks and trolls that were coming after activists and journalists speaking up about this ecological issue was also something I had never seen in my life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a moment, since it is kind of important to understand the current climate. So, uh, uh, this was still under Evo Morales, and he was basically considered to be a, an indigenous president. Uh, and yet, uh, the fires you're talking about are the big Amazon fires that were happening in 2019. And that was, inc- 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe from what you said last time, that was encouraged by the Morales government uh, to create farmland or grazing land for cattle to sell the beef to China. Correct? Exactly. Yes, 100%. These are so throughout a space of time the the Morales government enacted over 12 or 13 laws and supreme decrees that not only allowed the use of fire in forest areas during extremely dangerous fire seasons in our country when when drought is really strong, there is one particular law that gave Forgiveness, legal forgiveness for people that started illegal fires when we were already in a fire crisis. So however you look at this, and this is not only the opinion of many of us in Bolivia, but also the international uh, mother nature rights tribunal. The thing is, they have a different name in Spanish and a different one in English. That's why I always get confused. But this tribunal also ruled that this was an ecocide, that it was not only global warming, but this was something that happened because the government had legally encouraged the use of fire in these areas. And it was, for me, knowing your work, for example, and and understanding a little bit more of the geopolitical interests that are about Bolivia from many, many different countries, I couldn't help but notice that Bolivia signed a deal, the Bolivian government signed a deal in April of 2019 with the Chinese government that said that we had to sell them beef and that mean we needed to produce at least 10 times the amount of beef that we would usually produce in a year. And then suddenly that same year is when in July 9th, Supreme Decree 3973 was approved, which gave permission to use even to use fire in, in forest areas in different parts of the country, especially Beni, uh, a part of northern East Bolivia. And then immediately after, we had this enormous crisis, which wiped out forests in in the millions of hectares. I think we lost over 6 million hectares of fires that year in the Chiquitano forest region. And if you think about it, this is a very, very cheap way to expand area for agricultural business. And at the same time that this huge crisis was happening, um, it's estimated that at least 2 million animals died during this crisis. And I should also mention five firefighters. One of them was the younger brother of a member of our Standing Rivers team. Um, the cattle ranchers and the people that would be benefited from the deal with China and exportation to China were actually asking the government not to annul those this laws. So in the middle of the crisis and in the middle of all of this debt, and as we speak today, there are fires in Bolivia again, also encouraged by these laws that the Bolivian government has not changed despite the crisis that we have lived for three years now. Um, and I think it's also important to highlight that even during the transitional government, which was ruled by a party that in theory is opposite to Evo Morales, the deal with China was not suspended and the laws that allowed the fires were also not suspended. So you can see that there is a bigger um, geopolitical alliance there that goes even beyond parties in Bolivia. I love when presidents issue supreme decrees, just I, I, I reeks of democracy. This is insane because it's like there's an indigenous president who gets elected with the promise to help the indigenous people, but signs a deal with China, which uh, you know makes him then start burning huge amounts of the Amazon uh, in order to sell beef to China. And then the fires get out of control. He blames it on global warming. And then even when he gets, you know, ousted, he then, you know, is replaced by someone from the same party who's going to continue those exact same policies. It's like it's exactly it, it's like it makes total sense, Matt. I don't understand your problem. Look, they're supposed to protect indigenous people. Uh, Bolivia has been a part of China since ancient times. <laughs> Therefore, by protecting the interests of the Chinese Communist Party, they're protecting the indigenous people. Ah, simple. You know what? I see your logic. Something extremely interesting to me is that we have lost almost the same amount of forests to to the fires as Brazil, yet no one talks about Bolivia. It's really annoying because even when we needed support from the international community because the, the government did not want to declare national emergency, and we needed them to declare national emergency, among other things, since the government was not supporting firefighter teams, which are voluntary people. They're not part of the state. Um, we didn't have enough equipment for the firefighters. 
And this is one of the reasons that so many firefighters passed away, not because they got caught by the fire, but just because they didn't have the proper equipment to protect themselves so that they wouldn't get uh, intoxicated with, with the oxido carbono, with smoke. So when, since the government did not want to declare a national emergency, we didn't have the legal means to bring donations from abroad to support the firefighters with the equipment that they needed. And to the last moment, the government, the Morales government refused to do this, even though there were protests of over a million people on the street asking for this declaration of national emergency. So the fact that there are people, and it's so easy to see who they are, that benefited from this huge ecological crisis is mind-blowing to me. I cannot believe how these people are not in jail. And the fact that they have now been re-elected and they continue to do the same thing just this week, someone else passed away during fighting the fires because of intoxication with, with, with smoke. Um, yet the just, justice does nothing. And then when you think about what role does the Chinese government play in all of this, they essentially put in all the money that makes all of this crisis happen in my country. Yet no one talks about it. It's truly mind blowing how how the lives of people in Bolivia don't seem to be so relevant for an international community. I remember when the fires were going on in 2019 and it, it really was a failure of U.S. media. It was written off as, you know, it, it's happening because of global warming. Maybe you would hear something about, oh, you know, Brazil's Bolsonaro is far right and evil uh, but hardly anything about Bolivia in particular or why, you know, Chinese interests can be a driving force in that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, I fully, I think Bolsonaro was also a terrible president. Um, and as an environmentalist myself, I have absolutely nothing positive to say about his government. But I do find it very curious that if you look at the laws themselves beyond the speeches, because obviously in theory, Bolsonaro and, and Evo's government are on different terms. If you look at the laws enacted that have to do with both protecting the forest and then responding to emergencies in the forest, the laws are incredibly similar. Hmm. Or they don't allow you for even if you, it got to a point where it was so annoying and desperate and such a desperate situation for us that it's not only about asking the government to do its job. It's like, okay, you're not going to do it. Let us organize ourselves to help our own people. And yet, even that was not a possibility. There was a high, even CPJ, the Committee to Protect Journalists, I was just reading today, they wrote uh, an article about the high level of threat for people reporting fires in Bolivia in 2019. It's interesting what you just said about the government not letting people organize themselves because we just did the story about how in China, you know, there have been massive floods. There's usually flooding every summer, but there have been massive floods uh, in a couple provinces this year. And something that the Chinese government likes to do is that they release the flood waters in poorer rural areas uh, to try to save the cities. Uh, and then these people who live in these villages or small towns, they're trying to prevent these flood waters from like killing all of their crops and animals. So they're building barricades. They're trying to like keep the floodwaters back. And then the local government is actually fighting them. They're not allowing them to try to save their own land. Uh, and it just kind of what you said about what's happening in Bolivia just reminded me so much of that situation. Yeah. And if, well, will you have I, this is not speculation. You have Evo himself saying that he asked for help from China to deal with the opposition in social media. But you can think of, well, these governments, they learn repression tactics from someone else, right? They can come up with everything. And I'm pretty sure that there's some sort of line there um, that is very easy to spot. I think they, they really try to take away our dignity as persons. They try to demoralize people so that we don't stand up to them anymore. But that is also a very naive, at least I can speak for Bolivians, way of thinking because clearly we stood up to someone that wanted to overstay his time in power. And situations are different right now, but I think the em citizen empowerment that came with that is something that is not just going to fizzle away because the current government is trying to scare people into being silent. I don't think that's going to well, speaking of that, you 
the, the fires in 2019, they caused a massive popular protest movement against Morales. You were a big part of that. And now you said you were targeted a lot by trolls during the midst of this and that uh, sort of the social media system Bolivia had was largely built by China. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it was, you know, I'm very happy in a very weird way that there was so much work to do in the forest fires, actually on the ground, because I was there, that I didn't have enough time to worry about this. But I had over, I think, a thousand threats coming into my Twitter accounts and my Facebook accounts and my and my phone. Um, this happened the day after I gave an interview to the BBC explaining the fires and how we needed the government to declare national emergency. Um, and the, yeah, the level of threats of, of different images and different fake accounts that I could tell a lot of them were actually just trolls was very, I think could have been very disheartening had I had the time to focus on this. But when the, when literally your home is on fire, when you look around and everything is on fire and your friends are passing out because they don't have enough protection equipment, Tweets and trolls are really unimportant. And I think that's also one of the things that I've noticed that they they do this because they want to distract you from the real work. Good point. Yeah. And now every time that uh, there are targeted attacks on my accounts, which still happens, I just know, oh, this is kind of a yes, I'm doing something effective. And therefore, I have to focus a lot more on the cause and on the issues than on defending myself, because as an activist, I'm not going to ask people to vote for me anytime. I don't need people to like me or think I'm the best person in the world. My job as an activist is to be a speaker for the causes that are really important. So that's where my focus should always be. And, and that was a great lesson during the forest fires. It was very easy to tell what was important and what wasn't. So thank you to all the trolls. They taught me that very quickly. <laughs> That's a lesson a lot of people on the internet need to learn. <laughs> Focus on what's important. Yeah. Speaking of, did you see the new He-Man? My uh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> how, how do you feel about... Um, I know that you do a lot more work than I do following uh, the Chinese influence in different countries. Did, do you think there was some sort of thing happening around this with a new election in Bolivia? Was this something that was even on your radar? Uh, do you mean uh, the use of, like, trolls? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's like you're saying, like, you know, authoritarian regimes learn tactics from other authoritarian regimes, and the best authoritarian regime has socialism with Chinese characteristics. So if uh, Bolivia is having an internet system that's being kind of designed by China— I'm sure a lot of the tactics the government would be using would also be tactics the Chinese Communist Party has like recommended and probably taught people. We do see this in Africa, for instance, where Huawei will build the the internet infrastructure of some place and will specifically have Huawei agents teaching people how to uh, perform censorship, how to target opposition leaders. Um, so while there, like, I haven't seen like any like hard evidence. It's it's a pattern that it's pretty common wherever the Chinese internet goes. Was it mm. Chile where there was somewhere in Latin America where they were essentially importing Chinese security, like not just kind of security cameras and that stuff, but also just the the kind of mechanisms for for control and surveillance. Well, I mean, China's interest in Latin America is pretty huge. Like uh, recently I saw an article about how Cuban security forces in the latest rounds of protests have been getting training from Chinese security forces. Well, that that's definitely not a surprise. That's definitely the same, same thing in uh, Venezuela as well. So obviously the Chinese Communist Party has interests in Latin America and they're going to protect those interests and the governments that back them. Like Bolivian's movement towards socialism with Chinese Characteristics Party? Uh, mm -hmm. well, well, Denise, you were talking about um, some of the extractive policies earlier that the, the Bolivian government is putting into place about the natural resources. Are a lot of those going to China? So essentially, all of the 
let's talk about the the dam specifically. So many times when the government is enacting new supreme decrees or laws that allow the construction of these things because they need to do this as well when they're going to use land that is indigenous territory or a national park, right? And not a protected area. Um, usually what happens, and for example, I have it right here for you, in the case of the Rositas project, the one I was telling you about that would be moving more than 500 indigenous families. Um, this will be built with 80% financing from the export import bank. So mm. we know where that's coming from. And as many other uh, loans from the Chinese government, when this money comes in, and this is what makes the life of so civil society so difficult, um, the, the Chinese government, the contract with Bolivia is essentially, as in many other countries, we give you the financing, but you have to hire Chinese companies to come and do this work. And it's not only hiring the Chinese company to come and do the work in our territory, but they bring their own workers, they bring their own equipment, they bring their own system. Overall, they don't even hire local people and let's say that then they, they generate jobs. That's not what happens. And since it works in such a hermetic way, there's really no reports that we can use to check what they're doing. So and the most interesting part, and this is a, an investigation that, done by Fundación Solón in Bolivia, the Solón Foundation, they do a lot of environmental investigations, is that, for example, with the Rositas Dam, and I suspect that this is probably happening with many other Chinese projects in Bolivia, there's not, there won't really be a gain economically for the state generating power from this specific infrastructure because the cost given the characteristics of the place the location and 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 the people needed to be hired the cost of producing this energy is going to be too high for the market so in the end they're probably if they do it they're going to need to have some sort of um I don't know how to say this in English, like the, the the government will have to be paying for some of this before they can actually sell it to someone else. And the instead of it being an economic gain, it's going to be an economic loss for the country. So in the end, if you look at the overall project, the only people that are winning money out of this and the only real beneficiaries from this are the Chinese companies that are enacting the projects. It's not like this infrastructure is actually going to be beneficial on the long run for Bolivia or for our economy, not even for Bolivia, not even for the state itself. Win-win mutual cooperation. Well, so why is the government interested in this? Like, I could understand if, like, they were somehow getting some kind of kickback to it, but, like, as from what you're saying, they're going to have to subsidize the power coming from these dams, so it's it, they lose as well, as much as the Bolivian people. Exactly. But then, you know, when there's such high levels of corruption and corruption between Chinese companies and government officials is something that we have already seen with the Zapata case. I don't know if you remember that one. We can talk about it. Um, but again, when there's such high levels of corruption, when you have a state whose um, rule of law is not really existent, when sometimes if by some miracle someone points out to a corruption case inside the government, you know that the, the judiciary is not really going to do anything about it, then everyone can get away with anything. So the state is losing, the people are losing, but probably the people that signed these things are gaining a lot of money out of this for their own personal banks. And obviously the Chinese companies and the Chinese government, they're getting so much. So essentially, if you look at it right now, the Bolivian government is loaning my generation's future, indigenous people's futures, because in the long, there may be some gain for Chinese companies, but the loss is for all of Bolivia. We're already one of the countries most affected by the climate change and the climate emergencies. And with even farther destruction of our natural areas, this is going to make things even worse. And on top of that, we will have a debt with China that we will have to repay for many, many years. It's really like the worst form of colonialization really yeah it's like you know I, I think a lot of people don't don't get all the destruction that hydro causes because people think oh well it's not burning carbon so it's clean but like you also are essentially killing whatever river you put that in you have the, the flooding in the lake that you create and you have changes to the entire ecosystem of the whole river right like all the downstream effects the fish and then the animals that eat the fish, the people that live off the water, the temperature of the water changes, like all of these things. And then, you know, 
10, 20, 30 years down the line, you see like massive infrastructure changes like, or sorry, massive environmental changes like over the course of time caused by this dam, like continually, like continually, but very slowly altering that ecosystem. And we see in China, because China has, you know, well over a hundred hydroelectric dams that like you have all these, these problems of like the, you know, when there's droughts, they're worse. When there's flooding, it's worse. Uh, you have problems with the, the, you know, the fish that live or no longer live in the river. Uh, and like all the, the plant life and then the, the people who live along, like everything, like it, it has all these huge downstream effects. So like if you're going to have that regardless of, you know, any of the economic stuff when you build hydro, but, but then the hydro itself is losing money for you, Bolivian taxpayers, right? If it has to be subsidized. So I think this is like the crazy thing. And, and, and when you get China to come and build it, like China's just like, they don't care about the environmental impact, right? Because all they, they want the money to build it. They want, they get the money for their workers. Uh, since Bolivians aren't really building it, then there's no Bolivian local expertise. So when the dam needs repairs, oh, who are you going to call? Well, none of the Bolivians know how to fix it. So you got to call China again, right? So it's just this ongoing, like deep, deep debt. Exactly. And and on top of all of this, you also have a human rights issue because it's not it's a human rights violation to forcefully displace indigenous communities when especially if it's their territory, it has been their territories for hundreds of years. And on top of that, they never agreed to this. And legally, they should have been a part of this conversation. And there had been, it's not only that indigenous groups have not agreed to many of these constructions, they have done legal, they have taken the proper legal measures to sue the state to say that this is their territory and that they shouldn't have to be displaced. Yet all of these things, again, when you have such a weak uh, rule of law in the country. And this is something that even the government itself very happily admits when they need to ask money from, say, the European Union to do legal reforms, but then they never actually do them. Um, when there is no rule of law, what's the hope of, of any civil society or any Bolivian, even more indigenous communities, on suing the states or action to defend their territories? When in reality, the government, as it has already shown, it's going to do what they want to do. It, it's such a corrupt system. And I think this is something that I would really like to highlight for your viewers. And I would invite them to look at Contiocap. I'm going to try and leave that written somewhere. This is an association of many, many indigenous leaders in Bolivia who are often speaking up about this, who often are the ones that are telling people about how there are no environmental studies to these Chinese projects. And I am. People like me, we look at them in awe because we know that these are the people, the indigenous leaders that we need to support in order to protect our territories. Because at the end of the day, this is not only an issue of indigenous peoples in Bolivia, but I insist the protection of the environment in my country, especially given how we're already so affected by global warming, is something that is a priority, should be a priority of the entire population and even more of the government. But like I've said so many times, and I'm sorry I keep going back on this, it's heartening to see how the Bolivian government um, prioritizes over the rights of its own citizens and the constitution that they themselves enacted. Well, so I'm curious about what was going on in the the interim government where like these Chinese projects were put on hold, not canceled, put on hold. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic began. Uh, what was the view of China during that time? I imagine... Popular support must have even gotten even worse for China, but I imagine there might have been also vaccine diplomacy going on for China. Just just what happened in that period and how did China manage to turn it around so things went basically back to the status quo? Well, one thing that a lot of us pointed out to begin with the environmental subject before we go into the other ones is that the Bolivian government could have canceled many of these projects. And it was really uh, a red flag to us that they only paused them. They didn't take firm action in order to cancel this, even though it had been proved so much that the these this were illegal. There was so many violations of human and, and environmental rights in the making of these projects. And at the same time, 
the transitional government, kind of their whole marketing was that they were going to be the exact opposite to the Morales government, right? So it would make even sense in that to be coherent, they should have also canceled these things, but they didn't. And then when it comes to, um, the thing is the, the and I'm just going to say this plainly, the Bolivian opposition leadership um, is very weak. It leaps so much to, to desire. Um, and we, as environmental activists and a civil society, and I hope this is very clear for your viewers, we oppose the Morales government, but that does not mean we necessarily like the opposition either, because we know that Bolivian politics is often driven by elites and not necessarily by the interests of the people. So in a way, the, the transitional government tried to have a closer work with um, the other end of the geopolitical spectrum. So there was a lot of vaccine diplomacy going on with the USA embassy, with the EU, um, with the UK as well. I think I noticed that they also had some nice relationships and, and, and even some collaborations with the Chinese government. And obviously there was the vaccine issue as well, because we're such a poor country and in such need. And hence today we still don't have enough vaccines. But there was an attempt from the transitional government to sort of get closer to the other end of the geopolitical spectrum. However, they did so poorly because they violated human rights, just like I mentioned. There were huge cases of corruption during the pandemic, one of them with respirators imported to the country. And they were also so just so bad at conducting, uh, at, at leading a country that was already so divided and we needed leadership that was going to kind of reconciliate the country and guide us out of the crisis instead of just being stuck in this endless loop of one end of the political spectrum against another. And, you know, with their many, many mistakes, they kind of paved the way for the mass to present themselves as a party that actually care about the people. And when they have the support of big powers like China in order to create effective social media campaigns, I can see how they easily turn around the vote. I do acknowledge and respect that there are people that find themselves more identified with the mass party. It's sad to me to see that a party that could have been so much to Bolivia ends up being just another little slave of Chinese interests. It's very, very disappointing. And obviously I do not, will never support that party. But, you know, we had our chance to do better. And the political opposition in Bolivia was not ready to lead that. And this is why we are here today. And that is why, too, I'm hoping that working from civil society and keep talking about these issues, even if things don't look great today, um, we can hopefully eventually create new political ideas so that we don't have to be stuck between two really bad options. Uh, you mentioned the Zapata thing. You want to tell us about that? Yes. So this was so Oprah moment begins. This was a woman that was actually seems like she was dating the president Morales. And then suddenly she, a journalist exposed the fact that she had been hired as the head of a Chinese company in Bolivia, a millionaire Chinese company in Bolivia that was doing a lot of work with the Bolivian government an affair that she started with President Morales when she was underage, which is something that we've seen with many other girls in Bolivia, sadly, um, and still no investigations or justice on these issues either. But when this was exposed, uh, it was a very interesting time in Bolivian politics because initially it seemed like she had a baby with President Morales. President Morales gave a press uh, conference where he admitted having had a baby with her and saying that this was going to be investigated, that in theory he didn't remember her and he didn't know she was the head of a Chinese company in Bolivia. Then after that, he said that he never met her, that they never really had a baby. She came out and said that they actually had the baby. Then it, everyone was wondering, does this baby actually exist? No one knew where it was. Both like pe different people in the government were saying that it did happen, it didn't happen. And obviously... Childhood rights are the first thing and foremost, I think that the privacy of this baby, if the baby existed, should be protected above all things. But it was just a huge sub opera. And in the end, she ended up in jail when we had the transitional government. So they sent her to jail. There was no clear, there was no clarification as to what really happened. Like no one up until today knows what happened. And then she sent a letter to one of the ministers in the transitional government saying that she knew that Morales was trying to get her killed 
and she was asking for help and protection from the state. And then that was honestly one of the last times I heard about her. I think she's still in jail. Again, it shows that corruption in Bolivia is in many, many levels that there that the government, the Morales government was this corruption was not unique to them. I think it went out all the way over to Chinese companies in the country as well. Yeah, corrupt presidents don't make good exes. Yeah, don't, don't take precedence. It's not a good idea. Yeah. But yeah, another another issue I know we wanted to talk about is besides these hydroelectric dams, you, you, you were also telling us that China's involved in a lot of illegal gold mining in Bolivia. What's the story of that? So there is also the, the exploitation of rivers in order to get gold in different parts of Bolivia. And the fact that they are using a lot of chemicals that are really polluting the environment and that again whenever local people have pointed this out to authorities and they have tried to seek some justice from this gold mining there is hardly ever if any um, judicial action on the case this has also led to a whole new so I feel like the people most affected every time with this type of stories about Chinese um work in Bolivia is always indigenous communities that have had their health affected by the because the water that they drink is contaminated. There's been a lot of them that have there to speak up. One of them is Alex Pilka. I highly recommend people to look him up and look at his work. And then as soon as they speak up about these issues, about the fact that there are Chinese companies and workers that are doing illegal gold mining in different rivers in the different parts of Bolivia, he immediately gets death threats and 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 just his safety is always a concern for us. So um, I know that he has already asked international institutions to take action about this. I don't know if this has actually happened, but this is yet again kind of same narrative, just on a different issue. And indigenous communities always end up being the ones most affected by it. Not the only ones, but the ones more, the immediate damage goes to them. Is this gold mining illegal because of the way they're polluting the rivers or are they allowed to do the actual looking for gold in the rivers like what's the what's happening here it is because they are polluting the rivers but it's also because of the region where they're doing this they're doing this in areas that are quote-unquote protected areas and these areas are not open for any sort of exploitation, even if they were done with the proper environmental care, which I don't think there is such a thing with mining in rivers. Um, but uh, even if that was the case, it's not legal to do it in this territory, especially when some of these territories are already recognized as being owned by indigenous people um, because of our constitution and specific areas of the country are recognized as so. So again, when this happens and the, the jurisdiction and the laws are there that said that this is not legal, that there should be heavy, like very determined legal action taken against this, um, it just goes nowhere. So there's a big complicity between the Bolivian state and Chinese initiatives. I don't know what to call them. Deli, deli, delinquencial, like this is not legal at all. Um, not only does the state benefit and protect formal legal Chinese investment in Bolivia, they also, by not doing anything legally against them, they end up protecting Chinese illegal activities in our indigenous areas and protected natural areas as well. So the government knows about these gold mining activities? Oh, yeah, definitely. They're, they know. There's been a lot of reports on it. And there's also have been, again, uh, legal actions taken by indigenous people, especially when you when your body is already showing symptoms of being uh, heavily sick because of water contamination. This is when legal action has been taken by different groups. I cannot remember the name exactly right now, but uh, still the government just does nothing. So I guess this ultimately leads to the question of what can the Bolivian people do? Because obviously the government uses the language that it is, you know, protecting the environments, protecting indigenous people. Uh, you know, the whole movement towards socialism is based on, you know, that idea of helping the people. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not happening. So what's, what, what is the, the, the protest movement doing? So 
at the, what we're doing and what we should be doing are two things that meet at some points, but there's so much work still left to be done. What we are doing currently, and I can speak for Standing Rivers, for Rios de Pie, that I am a part of, we are really trying to gain more knowledge about these issues and work with indigenous communities and learn from them because they should be the ones leading this. I think we have so much to learn from them, especially a movement as young as we are. Um, and at the same time, we're trying to do the 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 international exposure of these issues like I am doing talking to you right now we're trying to raise awareness about what is happening um, but what is even more important than what needs to be done and I think there's a lot of work to be done in this in Bolivia is for us to realize that fires or the construction of, of dams hydroelectric uh, centers or gold mining they are not separate issues. They're all interconnected. And they're not only interconnected in the sense that there is obviously Chinese uh, investment causing all of this, but also because all of these things eventually, and not even eventually, are already affecting the Bolivian environment and our livelihoods. So I think it's very important that movements like ours continue doing this work of raising awareness and supporting the people that are opposing this. But I also think that the traditional community, if they want to keep believe standards that everyone is talking about right now, because so many international entities are talking about protecting the environment, about rights, about action against climate and global warming. The fact that they talk about this so much yet do nothing in terms of not necessarily opposing Chinese investment in Bolivia, which I think is something that should be done, but even just supporting the people that are already working in these issues in Bolivia, giving a voice to the people, to the indigenous leaders, to environmental activists that are exposing these issues, and even more supporting them in moments of extreme crisis, like the one we have right now with the fires in Bolivia. Um, these are very tangible things that the international community could be doing and is not doing. And I think that having opportunity to talk to journalists like you and, and talking about these issues is already such a great help for us because, like I mentioned, it often goes unnoticed and there's not many people doing this job either. Well, the international community is more than just, you know, major Western powers. What What is being done to create a coalition of activist groups in different Latin American countries who are also facing these kind of challenges of uh, totalitarian governments that are backed by China. You know, I think a lot more should be done. I'm going to admit that um, in the case of Standing River specifically, we don't really have had the chance yet, but we want to work with activists from other countries in Latin America on this specific issue. But I think even just learning from, for example, we really admired Hong Kong movement. Uh, we have been learning from from the distance, but yeah, we need to create a lot more alliances. And it's, I think, even with African countries and activists in Africa, who I often feel like their stories are so similar to us because it's the same time of new colonization coming to our countries, taking advantage of such weak rule of law and just doing whatever they want with our natural resources. Yeah, I'm just, you know, Jenny's what you're talking about makes me think about, you know, a lot of international attention right now is focused on climate change, but it's kind of a very narrow focus in terms of like some of these other environmental issues that are, uh, and I'm thinking about, you know, the Biden administration talking about how they want to work with China on climate change, right? And at the same time, the Chinese, uh, you know, the Chinese regime is not just incredibly polluting their own country, but going out and, you know, extracting natural resources from Bolivia, from other countries in Africa, Latin America, polluting them like, you know, like they're taking the, all the fish from the oceans, like all of these things that they're doing. But if we only focus on the climate change part of environmentalism it's like to you know we're gonna ignore it's like, to, it's like going to el chapo to ask him to help stop drugs in america <laughs> yeah it's it's not one or the other i think um climate change and global warming is something so real that we're already living but the fact that there is so much attention to this yet little attention or response to crisis like when we have hectares burning in Bolivia and not only is there no 
immediate response to the emergency, but also no one holds anyone accountable. People are just getting away with ecocide in my country for three years in a row now. Um, it's, it's really stunning. So all of these speeches about global warming and taking action to protect the environment and hopefully grow biodiversity, which is one of the main things that we need to do in order to fight this, this uh, global warming, um, it means nothing if you don't do anything also on the real issues that are happening in countries like mine right now. And it's the what the Biden administration says and what many other institutions um, and governments have said in regards of this is so, I mean, you know this already, it's just pure politics. It's not really a, a real interest to change things, but the people that are really trying to change things to me, at least in my country, are indigenous leaders that are opposing to this Chinese uh, investments and 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 constructions that are don't damaging us so much so i hope i really hope that at least from this more people can hear their stories get to know them follow them um alex Vilca is an indigenous leader that i really really admire as well as marcial fabricano i'll try to write down the names in the comments when this is up but i i hope more people can hear about them and support them yeah yeah the biggest contributor to climate change is all the hot air from politicians huh. <laughs> oh, man. So, Janice, uh, for anyone who wants to follow you and your work, where should they go? Um, So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm always trying to keep uh, information up to date. And then you can also find Standing Rivers is our Twitter account in English, where we post about all of the issues that I have just talked today in Bolivia. Um, We post in English there. And if you want to read our Spanish content, which is where we have most of our content, uh, you can follow Rios de Pie social media as well we're everywhere about tiktok so yeah everywhere but tiktok we should get on tiktok you guys i hear the kids like it <laughs> yes well janice it's been a pleasure to have you on again and uh i guess we'll be seeing you soon for the oslo freedom forum later this year thank you i hope to see you too i hope next time we meet i have more positive news on all of these issues so i'd see positive news what's that <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there all right it'll happen again it will happen again. Well, you're fighting the good fight, and that that is good news. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and there's a lot more like me, so that's great news. It's thank true. you. All right, take care. Well, looting and polluting is the way of the Chinese Communist Party. Today. That's better than I had. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the save, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. I did not Speaking expect, of 30 year old cartoons. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay, that's a deep cut. Well, I guess a lot of people do know Captain Planet of a certain yeah. age. Yeah. It's not like a 40 year old cartoon like He Man. Yes. Yes. I don't know. But if you think about everything that's happening in Bolivia, it just all sounds eerily familiar, right? Because it's it's the same pattern. And just you know, this was like a very small sample of the environmental destruction the Chinese Communist Party is causing around the world. And really, it is not getting the attention by the international community that it deserves when we're talking about environmental destruction. I don't think people even make the connection. Well, I mean, it also, it didn't start in Bolivia. It started, I mean, really, it started in China, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they wrecked the place. I'm laughing because I said that off camera and you just... <laughs> Well, no, but I, I wasn't trying to steal your thunder. I was trying to to like prompt that discussion, which then I was leaving open for you. Okay. I haven't seen such toxic male-female relations since the latest He-Man adaptation. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Shall I take it away? Well, I, I, I haven't seen all of the latest He-Man adaptations. Shelly, so. you're Wait, a no, champion. That's, that's not what I was prompting. Yeah. <laughs> So no, what? Well, in China, right? You the whole thing about you know local authorities colluding with these uh, you know developers or different companies to come in and take the land away from people uh, to you know like what happened with the Three Gorges Dam in the nineties, right? Like they flooded all of this land and tens of thousands of people were displaced, right? Mm. So kind of like what's happening in Bolivia with the dams. Uh, you know, it's just all it's it's all things that they they have the playbook that they learned, you know, domestically. And now they're just exporting that. Well, part of the Communist Party's ideology was they talk about struggling against heaven and earth. 
you know, we talked about recently, like in, in Lan Joe, right? They're going to they're level like how many mountains? The article said they were going to level 700 mountains to make way for development. I, there's not a but lot. It, I, look, I, I don't know if they've completely done that so far, but. There's not a lot in Lan Joe. So. So, so what you're saying is that it's fine. No, no, no. What I'm saying is like if they take the mountains away, there's not going to be anything left. Oh, I see. So that's it. That's it for Lanzhou completely. Well, I think they built the fake Sphinx there a few years ago. They're going to keep that, right? Yeah, they're going to keep that. And hopefully the noodles. The noodles are good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah, the, the whole thing about going abroad using the same, like, I mean, this really started with Mao, too. Because mm-hmm. his whole, you know, north-south water diversion project, we'll just move the water from the south to the north. If there's no a problem. desert somewhere and another place has a lot of water, we'll just move one to the other, of course. Oh, Perfect or sense. like the the whole thing, we're going to plant all the trees in the desert and that's going to not cause any trouble. Right. Especially if we just plant the same tree. And I think we can even pull up a picture, but just like looking at like these trees buried in sand. It looks stupid. Like anyone, you don't need to know much about the environment to say, this is not going to work. And, you know, in some areas it did work. So then they're like, oh, yes, this is our great project. But then in other areas, it's just full of dead trees. And mm, it that does use a lot of water. And uh, it was supposed to stop erosion, right? But actually, in a lot of cases, it did not do that at all because these are desert climates. They need grasses. They don't need trees. Like it's just like all of this stuff. There's just so much of this, like, kind of, you know, like man can conquer nature type of stuff going on, uh, or like let's bulldoze through, uh, you know, without thinking about what the consequences to this will be 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Let's China see. needs gold. Bolivia has it in its rivers. Let's, you know, I don't know how they mine gold i don't know a whole lot about gold mining i mean my my information hasn't been updated in like 150 years i was gonna say it comes from the california trail <laughs> gold rush yes. yeah i mean you think about also china damming up these rivers right in tibet and how that will basically affect, affect india bhutan nepal all. all of these countries and then damming up the rivers in china that then affect all of Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. You remember when we talked to the journalist from Malaysia who was talking about all of the hydroelectric projects that they were doing? That's right, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just like they, they do this a lot of places around the world, places where there aren't really good land rights, where there are authoritarian governments in place that can kind of do what they want so they can follow the same playbook that the Chinese Communist Party has you know, developed and perfected domestically and is now exporting around the world. Mm-hmm. Now these countries all have big damn problems. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and yeah, the issue is like, uh, as Janice was talking about, like the, you know, the interim government, like there was an opportunity to work with, uh, you know, more democratic countries, but because they didn't make any kind of the necessary human rights forms, that didn't happen. And so what happens? These corrupt governments just go, well, we'll work with China. They don't ask us to be nice to people. Yeah. And the Chinese, you know, authorities are patient. They'll just wait until a party they likes is back in power. Or often they'll just kind of play both sides of the aisle, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So, I don't know. I mean, I was just thinking about China is essentially like they have these fishing ships, right, that are going around the world and taking all the fish from the oceans. Strip mining the ocean of fish. And then, uh, you know, when certain environmental groups or when uh, there was like an article that would call them out on it, and then there was like a huge social media backlash inside China. Do you remember this? about? I don't. Like they were really upset at being called, uh, being accused of eating the most seafood in the world. Really, I don't remember this at all. Well, like, like the people who accused them of that were racist or something. I think it. I think there was also somebody who said that maybe we like it was a Chinese person who said maybe we should eat less seafood or something like that, mm-hmm. and then there was just this huge backlash about wow. this. It gets like you know again using their social media 
mechanisms to generate outrage. I, like, I just don't understand why when, like, there's any conversation about environmental destruction, nobody talks about China or talks about China as a partner that we need to work with. Oh, well. Not like, you're the one doing this. Well, like, like I was trying to say with earlier that we focus so much on climate change now. Mm. And so we don't want to bring up like all of the other things that China is doing or the Chinese Communist Party is doing to destroy the environment because we need them to work with us as a partner on climate change. Yeah, well, maybe if they weren't responsible for burning down the Amazon, we might have a different situation with the climate. You know, that that, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with them. That's a domestic issue. Yeah, yeah. but but I mean, your your point about about climate change is good because in addition to that, you also have water pollution and, and so soil pollution and and air pollution, which, you know, is tied to carbon emissions, but it's also a different issue. And so you're like, if you work with China with the sole goal of reducing carbon dioxide emissions, and like, that's the only focus, you're going to have to ignore essentially other major, major uh, environmental problems that have these other consequences. And obviously, as you pointed out, Chris, on top of that, you're not even going to be able to work with China anyway, because they just are going to lie to you. And they, you know, China burns more coal than the rest of the world combined, and they're not apologetic about it. And they're not going to stop anytime soon because they claim to be a developing nation. So like, there's just, it's, it's like not even worth talking with the Chinese Communist Party about this, because it's like if if you want China to stop polluting, you have to stop having, you know, goods manufactured in China using that dirty coal energy, the the harmful hydro energy, and you know, do manufacturing in countries that have higher and enforced environmental standards. U.S., Western Europe. Well, I think also, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking to China about, you know, carbon emissions or these other things. It's mostly that are you going to then um, basically, you know, is, is the Chinese Communist Party going to use that as leverage to get you to give up other things that we should not be giving up, right? Yeah. Like, should we be getting rid of our tariffs on Chinese goods if they promise to lower carbon emissions? Or should we no. be, you know, should we stop talking about China's human rights violations no. if they agree to... That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it goes back to the whole problem is like this idea that we have to work with China. And no, we don't. That's what's causing all of the problems. Like if we just decoupled from the Chinese Communist Party, that is what would solve all of the problems. I mean, again, we treat them like they're like a liberal democracy when they're actually North Korea with better PR. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Why are we so stupid? By we, I mean us, but like other people, not us. Money? You're right. Money. You I mean, buy a lot of things with money. You're, my sister right. sent me this um, article from Charles Schwab because now there's like a huge downturn in Chinese stocks, right? Especially Chinese tech stocks. Oh my gosh, I'm uh, shocked. <laughs> because the Chinese Communist Party is cracking down on the tech sector and on the private education sector. They're doing all these things that are driving down the value of a lot of Chinese companies, right, that are listed on Wall Street. And the Charles Schwab article she sent me was, is China's bear market an opportunity? Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was just this whole optimistic justification for how it definitely is an opportunity because look at how much it's grown in the past when stocks went down and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just so delusional. You know what I think of when I hear Schwab? I think of cotton swabs and earwax. That's what I think of Charles Schwab. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that BlackRock has better investment advice. <laughs> no, true, true. They're all, they're all a mess. We need people like Janice Fakadasa in charge and power. Or remember when we were talking to Perth, Paul, mm -hmm. about, you know, investing in countries with the Freedom Index. So, yeah. 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 Uh, well, we should wrap up before I get really angry about all the horrible things China's doing around the world. Is that not just like the normal state of things? I don't know. I just, just something, something about it, you know, and like the environmental stuff really bothers me. And so, 
like I've just found myself getting so angry at like all the corruption that like allows this stuff to happen. I don't know, like that it just it just hits a sore spot for me. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of interested in watching this. Let's let's keep going. Let let me let's see Matt. Well, you 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 want to hear my like tirade about how awful China is for the environment? And didn't did I mean, we I, not I, just I, hear it? You've heard yeah, you heard a piece of that, and I feel like I've said this before many times on other podcasts. So you really you know just if you as a, as a listener want to hear more about this, go listen to all of our previous podcasts. Then this is why we're terrible at marketing. <laughs> what? No, this is good marketing. I'm telling people to watch all previous 128 podcasts. Shelly, you disagree that that's good marketing? That makes sense to me. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. I mean, do you not have 128 hours to spare? I think you do. It would be more than that, actually. Yeah, I mean, some of our earlier ones were shorter. Some but, of our but, later ones were longer. Oh, and, true. And, and they're all great. Every minute. You might be tempted to listen to it at one and a half speed. Mm -mm. I don't recommend that. Do half speed. (laughs) Really get the information in. (laughs) (laughs) Matt makes a good point. We'll just start doing it half speed ourselves. (laughs) So even at double speed, it would just be normal. (laughs) We we need to stop now, guys. Do you want to do the outro in half speed? No, let's no. <laughs> we'll save you from that. There's enough suffering in the world. Thanks for watching. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley John. And I'm Matt Ganesta. We'll talk to you next time. We really gotta work on sticking the landing better, guys. Um It's not the Olympics, Shelley. Well, you know, even in the Olympics, sometimes you land and break your legs and you still you just get back up on those hobbly splintered bone. <laughs> People cheer. <laughs> That is kind of ha- what happened in 1996. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's actually kind of messed up. And people are kind of like looking back at that and being like, oh, wow, that was actually kind of messed up. Yeah. I think we should stop now. Yeah. Our legs are splintered and fractured. The bones are coming out of the skin. Okay. Uh... <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching. I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Wait, I'm just starting. <laughs> oh.